0: I don't know how many of you have this book and are kind of reading it with us but even if you don't this is the essence of the Bhagavad Gita which although written by Swami Kriyananda he so beautifully puts it according to Paramahansa Yogananda and at another place he says remembered by his disciple Hmm. and we talked about this before this transference that Krishna gave to Arjuna and, of course, it doesn't say that here, but Arjuna would have given it to somebody else and somebody... This knowledge, this wisdom hasn't come to us in a book. It hasn't come fully formatted, you know, word-documented. It's come from guru to disciple, to guru to disciple, guru to disciple. And it is in that awareness that we receive these teachings we don't receive them as mere interesting concepts of how the divine works we receive it as instruction from our guru from the highest source within us which is who the guru truly is even if he at times takes physical form and this is what krishna is also emphasizing here at times though i take physical form my physical form doesn't define me in any way and don't get caught up even by my physical form don't get sidetracked by the enormity of my true nature and this is jnana yoga the acceptance the understanding and the ability to perceive reality as it is not merely by the outward forms or the games of light and shadow that this world plays with us. In our last class, which was two weeks ago, Krishna was expressing and sharing with us the four types of people, he said, who seek me. He talked about the person who's in distress, a person who is seeking understanding, a person who's seeking power. And of course, he who is already wise, which is the part we love, he who is already wise. But then he talks about all four categories of mankind as being noble, because each of them are seeking, even if they are seeking something not necessarily the highest in that moment, you know, when you're in distress, you're kind of, all you're really seeking is for God to take away the reason of your suffering, you're not necessarily saying ah oh god how Thank lovely you. how <laughs> lovely you are and this is just what i needed this is pushing just the right button this is perfect know we're just like please please Lalo. this time i promise i'll be better and this time i'll meditate longer or whatever it is we offer almost as a bribe but krishna again just lovingly beautifully is holding all four of these Uh, categories as noble because of the energy that is upward. That no matter what, there is this natural understanding that my you know, the solution lies above. The solution above, of course, being metaphorical here. uh, The solution lies in God. And that natural draw to want to reach out to God, no matter what it is whatever category and each of us are kind of vacillating between these categories at times then of course the last verse is where we left it which was verse 20 which is kind of a caveat of sorts um he's talking about these four aspects as being noble these four categories but then he says those however who prefer to follow their own will Now that's one. Even in this, even in these four things, Krishna is asking us not to merely say, God, you know, I want you to take this away or I want you to give this to me. This is going to happen a lot now at the ashram because this is now an open house. (laughs) People are going to walk in and people are going to walk out. When this used to happen at the apartment, it was usually the the garbage collector or the chalky dar. But now it's going to be actual human beings. Not that those people aren't, of course. Um, so Krishna is here is talking about even in these, even as we are asking or, you know, seeking something other than, we have to make sure that it is not with the intention that I want to follow my own will. This is where Krishna is helping us understand that this should not happen. While you could be seeking something lesser than could be reaching out to God, look for these three things, I believe, that he mentions here. However, those who prefer to follow their own will, whose discrimination has been vitiated by this craving or that, that means that the compulsion is not being is being directed purely by desire and craving. It's not being directed by the desire for freedom, which is why we look to God in the first place. We want freedom, however, we look and think of freedom as freedom from a circumstance, or freedom by understanding something in this moment. And then he says, and perhaps those who feel inclined towards cultish teachings, and we spoke about in the last class, Cultish teachings as being that which emphasizes the self more, the little self, Uh, you know, it's just uh, not to cast dispersions on anything, but where you will gain something extraordinary from practicing, whether it's some healing power or for your ability to read auras or whatever. In and of themselves, they're not uh, negative or bad. But then Krishna says, because they seek lesser gods. And this is what, this is where Krishna brings the bar down. As long as you're following your own will, that your interest, most of us unfortunately are following our own will, but your interest is primarily to follow your own will. A lot of people say, I want God and I really want to do, but the moment their will is even a little bit challenged, You know, they're triggered and they get really rigid and they get firm and I'm talking about even good devotees I'm not even talking about some random person here.
1: We are talking about (laughs) us.
0: We're talking about Narayani and Shurcho But it's like at least the intention is I want to go beyond my will Mm. Doesn't mean we're always successful But that's where we're trying to go So as long as you're, so when you're looking for, asking for something, you're looking for a solution for something, ask yourself, is this purely to kind of follow my own will or am I seeking something higher? In our last class, we ended with that beautiful, um, the words of Christ. And right now we're entering into the season of Christ. Christ, master, just as Krishna, completely united with God. And in that moment of darkness for Christ, He says, Lord, let this cup pass from me, which is a very kind of humble and real prayer. Bhagwan, you know, (laughs) if I don't have to go through this karma, if I don't have to go through this suffering, let this cup pass from me, let this thing just pass by me. But not mine, but thy will be done. And those are the powerful words with which he ends. Swami Kriyananda has put those words to music and when you hear that, Lord let this cup pass. it's just so beautiful you can just imagine you can feel that moment of darkness which all of us go through and a master like Christ also experiencing the duality that he has embraced when he has agreed to take on the form of Maya yet let thy will be done so if we can in everything that we do if we keep emphasizing coming back to that point okay I want this Somehow that desire is what's guiding this process, but let thy will be done. And then to try to seek the highest in that process. And from there we come now to verse 21. Whatsoever the form a person worships, a saint, a master, a deity, whether real or imaginary, it is I who uplifts his heart and makes His devotion steadfast and true. Let's read this again, it's it's very interesting. Whatsoever the form a person worships. Now, oftentimes you're worshipping forms, not necessarily, um, say for example, again, this is just purely an example, you worship Lord Ganesh and you see Lord Ganesh as the absolute, you're seeing him as the highest. Um, you're not going to be like, ah, should I be worshiping Lord Ganesh or is Shiva better or is Vishnu better or, you know, your, your devotion is set and the form's not so important because the form is only a, a yeah. channel, a vehicle to direct that steadfastness and that devotion. So, who's whatsoever the form a person worship? Now Krishna, when he said, talked about lesser gods, he's also bringing it to a very real place for each of us so that we don't get confused Oh, am I a lesser God? Am I looking for the greater God? Um, You know, and again the mind kicks in and you start thinking the pros and cons, con Upper, con Nietzsche. Doesn't matter. Whatsoever the former person worships, a saint, a master, a deity, whether real or imaginary. Even that doesn't matter at all. And sometimes it's interesting because you could take somebody as your guru and even though that person may or may not be uh, or may or may not have achieved the highest form of realization, he can still give you because it is I, as Krishna says, it is I who uplifts the heart and makes his devotion steadfast and true. And that's the power that we are drawing. We're not drawing from the form We're not drawing from the limited, this is, you know, my guru, this is a higher deity or this is the master versus this isn't. We're drawing from Krishna, we're drawing from the infinite. And if our devotion is true, that infinite will flow through whatever form, real or imaginary. We know the story from the Mahabharata itself of Eklavya, right? Uh, Dronacharya doesn't accept him as a disciple because he's not. Uh, of a high caste, or whatever that particular situation was. And Eklavya goes and just creates a kind of a mud statue of Drona, and he becomes even greater than Arjuna, because if your devotion is true, then it is still Krishna who is giving you the power. And that's what he says then in the second, in the next verse 22. Absorbed in his devotion, intent on worshipping that form, He derives true spiritual benefits and has his desires and prayers fulfilled. The blessings he receives come from me alone. And this is something our Guru was very particular about. He'd never never say, come to me, you're my disciple. He'd always say, keep going beyond. Look beyond me to he who has sent me. Another beautiful thing of Christ is, it is my Father who has sent me. Always remembering and reminding that don't get caught up by the form that you see. Don't get caught up. Know that the destination is God. Because what's coming even through the Guru is God's. The Guru is not generating anything. The Guru has no more separate identity to generate his own kind of, this is my particular power, this is my particular consciousness that I'm channeling. And it's up to the disciple of what he draws because whether real or imaginary, and that's the amazing part here, it's the disciple who draws God through a perfect channel, but also through a broken channel, the disciple can draw. There was a story of um, of course, here the channel is perfect. Of Shankracharya and one of his foremost disciples, called uh, later on, who was called Padmapad because of this story, um, where the disciple was standing on one side of the river and Shankracharya, his guru, is on the other side. And Shankracharya says, calls out to his disciple and just kind of indicates him to come over. And this disciple, without a moment's thought, without any hesitancy, just Big steps into the river and the moment he steps, wherever he steps there is said a lotus leaf comes up to support his footsteps and as he crosses over lotus after lotus after lotus comes across. And on one hand the story talks about oh, it was Shankaracharya and his disciple and how Shankaracharya called his disciple and created for his disciple these lotus paths but when i hear this story i see much more of the disciples power here because it was really the disciples complete faith in his guru ah my guru called me not oh my guru called me okay okay Ka karoon, kya karu kya karu there's a river here ah uh, maybe wait you know i'm gonna come across wait just hang on my guru called me i'm coming and it was the disciples faith that drew those lily pads, those lotus pads. And that's what Krishna is telling here. The onus is on us. Absorbed in His devotion. These are the things. Absorbed in His devotion. If the disciple is completely absorbed in the devotion of whatever form He chooses, with the intention that this form is the infinite, intent on worshipping the form, He derives true and spiritual benefits And has his desires and prayers fulfilled the blessings he receives comes from come from me alone that's again important again and again for us to remind ourselves whatever the form the form is the vehicle my intention my goal is the infinite men of meager understanding however in limiting their worship to the lesser gods which is what when it is, ah, Lakshmi ko, you know, karte hain because paisa lega Lakshmi se. Oh, let's do Ganesh because Ganesh will remove all the obstacles. In limiting, where you take the form and you limit the form to a very particular expectation from the form. That's how we limit anything. That's why temples can be so powerful or temples can be just, eh, because it's not the statue that's placed there. It's what that statue represents to the devotees that come there. And the more that, you know, I've experienced this in temples. There are certain temples that are specific where you can go and ask and, oh, this is a very famous temple because a lot of people's prayers get fulfilled. And when you go and sit and meditate in that temple, you don't really feel that uplifted. Not to diminish the power of fulfilling wishes that might very much be present but you don't necessarily feel that upliftment whereas you go to some tiny obscure little temple where there's real devotion where a person comes and he just offers some tiny little thing with no necessary expectation you sit and you meditate in a place like that and instantly you feel connected to that infinite power that flows through that um, very very imperfect form of that temple so men of meager understanding however receive limited results mm-hmm. devotees of the lower gods go to those gods devotees who worship me the infinite one come to me again and again very important to remember why and to what you're placing your faith in is it to the infinite only then, will that be the magnet that will draw you. If it is even with your Guru, and this is where the Guru-disciple relationship becomes kind of misunderstood sometimes. Where the Guru again is almost like a calm dhenu you know, full, wish-fulfilling reality. Ah, my Guru just, you know, he takes this away from me and my Guru gives me everything that I want. Well, that's not what the Guru is here for. The Guru is here to free you, part of the freedom process. May include him fulfilling certain wishes, certain desires, because as our guru said, a fulfilled desire teaches you more than a thwarted one. Because once a desire is fulfilled, you realize there was never any was, fulfillment it wasn't there. <laughs> in it in the first place. Whereas when a desire is thwarted, somewhere in the back of your mind, you said, Ah, if only I had gotten that, maybe in the next life, that's what will make it for me and so we seek over and over again but fulfillment allows us to say ah again if there's discrimination to say <laughs> it wasn't here men who lack wisdom think of me the unmanifest as limited when I appear in a bodily form and this is what I mean right here he says it as clearly as he can Krishna is directly telling me this has nothing to do with me you know he can't make it any clearer yet we get so caught up in ah and this krishna was like this and this was how he played his flute and these were the gopis i mean the stories are beautiful but only if they evoke invoke in us this deep desire for freedom for moksha for uniting with that reality not to be limited and just be satisfied with the form and kind of continually limited to that form, not being able to go beyond it. They comprehend not my higher nature, which is changeless, unutterable, and supreme. Unutterable, what a word, cannot even be spoken of. Hidden by my veil of Yogamaya, I am invisible to mankind. Humanity, therefore, Bewildered by appearances, sees not that I am, in essence, ever unborn and ever deathless. These, Krishna is not boasting here. (laughs) He's not saying, well, this is who I am and nobody knows it. What he's really saying is, this is who you are. This is what you must aspire for. Don't aspire for my form. Don't aspire for a vision. Don't aspire that I come to you and please you and fulfill some tiny little meager momentary satisfaction. Look to me as unborn. Look to me as deathless. Look to me as the unutterable. Only in that deep meditation are you going to get to that silence that's unutterable. That in that silence, no words can be spoken. No limiting thought can define God in that moment. That stillness, that silence, that's what Krishna wants us to aspire for. That's why He's saying, "This is who I am, and this is who I am." He's trying to help Arjuna rise beyond the tiny dilemma that Arjuna is in. Anandamoyi Ma said so beautifully. There are no human solutions to human problems. And what Arjuna is experiencing right now is a human problem. Ah, should I kill them? Should I fight? Should I do this? You know, our problems. Should I accept this bribe? Should I cut a corner here? Should I go and fulfill my desires? Should I marry this woman? Should I take this job? Our everyday problems. Arjuna is facing an everyday problem. But Krishna is not giving him an everyday solution. Krishna is giving him there are no human solutions to human problems and what Krishna wants Arjuna to experience is something so much greater that unborn deathless state. O Arjuna the past present and future of all beings is known to me. Me however no man knows so long as he knows himself as only human. Me, however, no man knows. Again, I'm reminded. Christ is really playing in my mind these last few weeks, just getting ready to experience Him. And when Christ said, What my Father knows, even I know not. O descendant of Bharat, scorcher of foes, Arjuna. I love how he... uh, (laughs) addresses arjuna changingly again and again trying to almost say this is who you are scorcher of foes arjuna here arjuna is kind of you know as we are like weaklings oh krishna kya karu. and krishna is oh arjuna descendant of bharat bharat being that absolute highest pristine consciousness scorcher of foes birth in a body subjects all beings to the power of delusion with its dualities. And Krishna is even talking about himself in this process. As long as there is a body there will be dualities, there will be personalities, there will be ah Krishna ko butter pasande, but Krishna ko ye pasand pasande and and the ability to get even more confused and caught up in those dualities which produce attraction and repulsion. This is the primary duality that exists. Attraction and repulsion. Attraction towards God or being drawn away from Him. Attraction towards Maya or being drawn away from Maya. Both are the two sides of the same coin. One pulling in either direction. And that's why at the beginning, what did Krishna say? The two great enemies of mankind are desire and anger because one is attractive and one is repulsive such is the storm of maya on the surface of my ocean of consciousness and this is again a very very important visual for us to keep there is god's consciousness this still you know completely unmoving waters vast infinite And then when the storm of Maya blows over it, what's created are waves. And these waves represent the duality. And so what it means for us is that the only way to return back to that infinite pristine self is stillness. Again and again, we have to come back to that word stillness. Only in stillness, dualities kind of return to that singularity state. And that stillness needs to happen on all levels. And that's what meditation is, isn't it? First, the stillness of body as we set ourselves down. Then the stillness of our minds as we begin to interiorize the senses and the life force. Then the stillness of our breath as we achieve that near breathless state. And that that's constantly what we need to Achieve we when we're here at the ashram now It's so chaotic. You know, you've got so many people running around so many people coming offering seva and you've got then Of course, you've got the plumbers and the electricians and the workers and uh, you know, they're not seeking stillness, but even in this chaos Having invited God into this home. It's not in every home necessarily But if you've invited God just as Krishna said if there is an intent to worship me in whatever form I'm there. Even in the middle of that, if you just got still, you'd suddenly feel God's presence. And that's something we need to be doing often, again and again, getting still. Righteous men, however, and this is what he was talking about people who are first subject to duality, but then he says, righteous men, however, their sins expiated are no longer subject to the oppositions of duality and worship me steadfastly. Righteous men. What is righteousness? What is dharma? Is that singular direction? Is setting your mind single pointedly on the goal of God? And letting no form of duality, which means what? Neither suffering nor pleasure, neither some sort of fame nor blame, letting neither people's approval or their disapproval, let nothing move you. Only then can you call yourself a righteous man, a righteous human being. And this is not just true for God, this is true for any ideal you aspire to. If duality on either side, good and bad, we get confused by thinking good is not dual. And somehow we think of bad as dual. But if duality can even for a moment deviate and divert that journey, we're not yet steadfast on that righteous path and this is what krishna says righteous men however their sins expiated it's like the moment you get onto this no more karma has power over you that's what sin means here a karmic compulsion and you're no longer subject to the oppositions of duality so again that stillness that steadfastness that deep devotion. I mean, it just comes back to that. Here we we're talking about Jnana Yoga. You'd assume Krishna to kind of reveal some really, you know, <laughs> high fi fundas and, you know, really vast intellectual concepts. And Krishna just brings it back to devotion, stillness, steadfastness, where, where there, there's no dividing line between the Dhyana Yoga we just talked about, the Karma Yoga we talked about, the Bhakti Yoga that we will speak of in more detail. Those who clinging to me, Seek release from old age, and from the finality of death Become true knowers of Brahman, the Absolute And of Adhyatma, the over-self And of all the secrets of karma Those who clinging to me That's an important word here (laughs) Clinging to me, I mean Visualize If you are a parent, you know how your child clings to you. If you remember how clingy you were as a child, you just remember what it meant to go and cling to your parent. Clinging to me and seek release. Now, Krishna is saying, seek release from old age, which is an interesting one, isn't it? Seek release from old age. I was thinking about that. I was kind of like, huh, that's an interesting thing to put in there because aren't we all seeking release from old age isn't every advertisement today about seeking release from old age ah no more wrinkles and look more youthful than ever i mean no matter where you look today there's always an ad for something about to do with youth and of course we've got babaji (laughs) the ever youthful 25 year old everybody's dream age to kind of be in but somehow that very thought of not growing old is a very divine thought because old age and then death by extension kind of expresses this idea that we are finite and there's something inside us that so desperately both Mm. wants to believe but also Knows that we are not finite and so therefore we try to stop this finite process. And it's an interesting thing that Krishna brings up this desire to overcome and seek release from old age and then of course from death. But here from death doesn't mean just I don't want to die, I want to be in this body for the rest of my life, I want to, you know, hold on to all my possessions, I just don't want to die. It is essentially not needing to be born again because that's what death means in this particular case. This cycle, this breaking the cycle and that's something if I look back at kind of what propelled me onto the spiritual path, it was this fear that I'm going to have to do this all over again. I I just couldn't bring myself to even conceive of the fact that I'm to go, I have to go through this process again. Through this complete confusion of childhood and youth and getting so just enmeshed in myself and forgetting the fact that God exists. That's my greatest fear. And this is what needs to be held before us again and again. Sometimes this very fear, oh, I don't want to go through this again. And if you can cling to God with this thought, I just don't want to go through this again. As Krishna says, they become true knowers of Brahman because it comes from that seed. This is not me. I am not this finite reality. I'm not going to just repeat. I'm just not going to cycle through this again and again and again and again. I'm going to break through this. And finally, the last verse of this chapter. Those who perceive my presence within their physical, which is the Adi Bhuta, their astral, which is the Adi Deva, and their spiritual, which is the Adi Yagya bodies. So, the three bodies, those who perceive my presence within their physical, astral, and spiritual or causal bodies, their hearts united to me, retain their perception even at the time of death. Thus ends the seventh <laughs> chapter called The Yoga of Knowledge and Discrimination of the Upanishad of the Holy Bhagavad Gita. If you are wondering what is Adi Bhuta and Adi Deva and Adi the good news is in the very next chapter the first verse is <laughs> Arjuna. Mm-hmm. Krishna, can you tell me what is Adi Bhutan, (laughs) Adi Yagyana, Adi Deva? And Krishna and Krishna, can you tell me what is karma? So Arjuna is like perfect for us. He just dumbs it down so that all the questions we need to ask, we want to ask, he's asking on our behalf. And there we are with our seventh chapter.
1: I was thinking when Krishna says that it doesn't matter in which form we worship him and somehow something deeper struck me while he was saying those words today there was some moment throughout the day that I felt deeply inspired and I want to associate these words with this moment I'm about to share. At some point, um, there were so many things that needed to happen. The house, the ashram is still not ready. And as Shurjo was saying, there are so many things that still are not working. So there are many save opportunities. But at some point, we felt that there, was these, there were these spots that are along the garden, they are extremely dirty, full of mm, grime, Grime. I <laughs> mean, just very, very, very old. And someone felt inspired to take just one of those hard brushes and just clean those spots. So Nina, who just moved here, took one of those brushes Rajesh was around, we gave him a brush, (laughs) and then I think Sweta was also there, she took another brush, and then eventually Vinita and a few others. So you could see each one of them on their knees, scrubbing and scrubbing, very old, dusty, muddy, simple butt. The energy was so uplifted because you could see at that moment they were worshipping Krishna, their Guru's work, God's home here in the form of an ashram. They were in that stillness performing their seva one single pointedly without having any resistance in their mind. This is a lower job versus I should be something else. You could see they were practicing true nishkam karma, wholeheartedly putting their consciousness in that activity. I felt so moved to see people on their knees, just creating worshiping the divine formless in the form of that part and I realized that's how I want to serve from today onwards within this ashram in every corner of this house because if I'm able to perform each activity with that wholeheartedly consciousness in everything that I do, I'm already communing with God himself in the formless form of Maya. And I think this is something that you, I, each one of us can do at home. I know we have spoken about the importance of the attitude in which we perform our activities but let's bring it a step higher and bring it from just an attitude to an act of worship and that activity can really take you closer to that formless consciousness that is constantly in front of us, through us, through the harmonium, through people, through projects, and and let's all try to perceive and worship God in the formless form he chooses to in front of us daily.